Yeah, we got vinyl plank. We yeah. put it right over top Looks of the great. tile. We just um, like skimmed everything with some sort of compound, com like concrete stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you guys know, but I don't know. Um, over top, and uh, I, I absolutely love it. I'm I'm thrilled yeah. with the results. Yeah. So. I uh, I'm gonna do a little formal introduction to this podcast, if I may. And we might even be able to just slice Absolutely. this in before well, don't use that this part. No, let's go. Don't <laughs> no. use this. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear about floors. <laughs> You'd be surprised, yeah. actually. When we got our floors, like, it just, like, changes the it whole... It does. It's the like, whole... Yeah. Every single room is different just because the floors are different. So it is an important thing. But you're more important, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Cass Arson is an entrepreneur, YouTuber, author, podcaster, TV host, and if we still had phone books, her name would be on the first page. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Her YouTube journey began many moons ago, and with time and patience and perseverance, Cass has managed to build Clutter, the Clutterbug channel into one of the most successful in the organizing space, with over 800,000 subscribers. And as of just last month, September 2023, she passed, are you ready? 100 million video views. Wow at least on this channel, and that's just videos that we know. She could have removed some salacious stuff, which acquired even more views, but <laughs> we can get into this that. Just privated. And that's that's just YouTube. We won't even get into her TV show, four best-selling books, hugely successful podcast, and multiple online organizing courses. Actually, we probably should get into all of that because that's pretty much what we do here. So Cass knows all of this because she joined us on the podcast before, all the way back in 2021. Wow. Uh, and then again, at the end of last year, December uh, 2022, but it's almost 2024. So, we have a lot to catch up on. So, let's catch up on it. And welcome back to the podcast, Cass Arson. You make me sound so cool. Thank you. That's, that's so nice. Thank you. I had no idea I hit 100 million downloads. Wow. That's... Yeah. That it's, sounds... We know everybody's channel better than they know. Isn't it funny how it's a number that even though you hear it, your brain still cannot actually comprehend what a hundred million kind of is? That sounds like a lot, but honestly, it also doesn't in the, like in the YouTube realm, mm -hmm. right? Like you're always looking to bigger channels than you for some yes. reason why do we do this so i'm like well that's nothing compared to catherine from do it on a dime that's <laughs> true or mr beast releasing a one dollar stapler uh. versus a thousand dollar stapler and getting literally that many views in one video do you yeah. know how much of a step down it would be for him to do any television i mean the amount of views he gets on youtube compared to like he gets more views than the super bowl i mean he's it's crazy how many views it's he gets crazy. on his videos. It's also crazy his staff. Can we just say that for a second? So I once went to a YouTube um, event in San Francisco where I met Chucky, who is the lead of his thumbnail team. Chucky uh. runs, has four employees, all five of them. Their only job is to create thumbnails crazy a team of five friends to create a thumbnail a week stop it and he says they start the process like two months before and they have yeah. all, for one thumbnail 
arguably the most important job of the entire team? I mean, he believes so, but he does. But he, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so much psychology that he puts into it. There's so much that, and, and I just walked away from that thinking, wow, I always forget to take a picture and then like throw it into a thumbnail at the absolute last minute and it's always trash. And these guys are spending months, months and yeah. they're like storyboarding yeah. like 50 different ideas. And so Mr. Beast is successful for a reason. The guy's nuts. He's a beast when it comes mm-hmm. to YouTube. He's, uh, I just saw him at Vid Summit down in Texas. I didn't meet him personally, but he was there. And I was actually really impressed by him. I kind of, my opinion of him kind of changed a little bit. I have a lot more respect for exactly what it is he's doing and how, how aware he is of everything. And he mentioned the thumbnails, how they come up with the thumbnail uh, is the first thing they come up with before they even know what the video is going to be about. They're, he said that is the most important thing is the thumbnail, even above a title. And so they come up with those things, like you said, months in advance. He's got all these different projects going that take months of planning, all going at the same time. So he can just kind of go into it. And I think a lot of his role now is, is kind of like idea guy and then host of, of mm-hmm. the show because there's so many people working for this thing. It really is. It's an amazing production. But he did mention that on recent testing, closed mouth thumbnails are doing better for him now. And I looked and his, because, you know, he's he's famous for that scream face and they've changed those thumbnails on their recent videos. So there you go. That's his testing. Fascinating. Yeah, I think we can all kind of look to Mr. Beast for trends because he's on it. Like he is. Not that I'm a big trend follower person but um yeah he i mean he put, he puts a ton of time and effort into research he eats breathes and sleeps youtube i have no desire to do that but i have so much respect for the fact that that he does right he he's um yeah he's incredible for a reason he deserves it for sure he almost does it though for the sake of doing it and that kind of raises the the issue of like we all have channels and we all fight for views and we all try to get attention for ultimately either driving someone to do something or something else and whatnot he literally is in the business of making youtube videos Mm -hmm. because if you were to even say like what like what would his tv show be like, what does he actually do? He sets up grandiose, mm-hmm. like he literally just sets up grandiose videos. Yeah. Um, and like you said, like he starts it with the, what the thumbnail, it's this big, huge blade coming at my face. Excellent. Let's make it, you know. Yeah. This seems know, like whatever. a cool thumbnail. Let's make a video yeah. about this. Yeah, it's and very yeah, it's odd. Work. And they work backwards when we were all kind of taught to like kind of know what your title is and know how you're going to present it. But the core of what you're getting at is obviously you're, you're trying to, you know, talk about something. And he literally is almost at a place where, especially his last six or seven videos have been $1 thing versus million dollar yeah. thing. Yeah. The exact same thing. So, so his evolution is moving to, to your point, Steve, his evolution is moving from wide wide smile to to no smile <laughs> and like that's business meetings they have charts yeah. and they have teams and they're does like, that not up. seem terrible though like good for him i don't want that i don't i yeah. don't even want to agonize over analytics that seems like that, a nightmare i just want to make cool videos because it, it kind of he seems like a disingenuous person to look up to because he's literally doing this we all face trying to get those views 
for another purpose. He's he's just playing the game and doing an incredibly good job and has almost YouTube on his side. And we're all stuck over here trying yeah. to like... To me, it sort of begs the question, is is it art? Is what he's making mm -hmm. or is it just a, a, a commodity, like an a product? Art or like, uh, uh, yeah, just like a con like a concept. Like, so like if I continue to push the boundaries, because apparently mm -hmm. his videos completely lose money now. It's not about that anymore. He's made enough of a name that him just making videos. So like the, the whole measure is off at, at this point with him. But uh, I, yeah. For him, I think it's all about views and, and human psychology and what's getting clicked on more. And how can I get the most, how can I get literally yeah. like millions? He wants billions of people yeah. to watch him. And so in that regard, I think it's really fascinating because yeah, we're not gonna do $1 versus million dollar stapler, but knowing kind of, he knows what the general audience wants. So how can we look at what he's doing and just take a few key takeaways from that when creating our own videos? Now I say that I don't do that. I should do that, but I don't do that because <laughs> I'm still too. at the place where I'm like, what do I want to make a video about what I want to make today? Mm -hmm. But I think we are also running a business, right? I mean, how sucky is that part? But yeah, at the end of the day, we are. So what can we look at that he's doing right? And maybe just like borrow a few little things. I don't know. I'm saying this. I'm not doing it. But, yeah, but I there's think there one, is an opportunity for us there. There's one school of thought that you should do like, I, I don't know, 80%, 80% for your audience, 20% for you, something like that to kind of maintain some sort of a balance to doing exactly what you want. I, for instance, I just mm -hmm. finished up my annual Halloween video and I know it's going to be a 10 out of 10. It'll be bottom barrel. Nobody watches these things. And yet the amount of time and effort that goes into this thing that, because I love doing it. So it's just for me and for the people who do watch it every year who really look forward to it and really love it and i can't monetize it i'm using a copyrighted song i've got blood and gore and you know it's like this thing is i knew from the start this isn't going to be monetized so i'm like well in for a penny in for a pound i'm just going to throw everything <laughs> into this huh. now but i think it is trying to maintain some sort of a balance there at least for me because if i was just doing all businessy videos then i would be yet just another tool another cog in the wheel yeah that sounds horrible <laughs> none of know. us want to be that person that is for sure but i don't know about you like i feel like i'm in youtube purgatory right now um <laughs> i don't know what else to call it that's what i call it but when i've put out a couple of videos that are huge stinkers it's very hard to get back into the algorithm. Now I've spoke mm -hmm. to people at head office in YouTube. They deny this. They say this has nothing to do with it. But my last few videos have been bad and they've just like Steve, like you said, I knew they were going to be bad, but I felt like making them anyways. And then when I released a video that my audience should be all over, it has an incredibly high click-through rate, which we know is the indication of like, people are seeing it, they're clicking on it, but it's nine out of 10. And the mm -hmm. reason is it's not getting recommended at all. So external links, crazy high. Click-through rate, amazing. Who, the people who are getting fed it are clicking on it, but it's not getting fed to my subscribers. And I feel like that's because my overall watch time is so low from the craptacular videos the weeks before. I may be wrong. I'm not going to pretend I know the algorithm, but I, have you noticed this? Like once you yeah. have a couple stinkers, they, they like punish you kind of thing. Well, I don't, I think, I don't it, think the they algorithm are punishing is, you, but yeah. 
I think the algorithm is doing what it's intended to do is to feed up the video to people who are interested in it. And when you have videos that don't perform as well, it confuses the algorithm, so to speak. It's like, well, who, who is these videos for? And then you, re for instance, like an extreme example would be my Halloween video. I'm sure I, th I throw this out there and the algorithm's like, whoa, 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 this is so different. This isn't woodworking. Who is the audience for this? And it, and it doesn't understand that because and I, and I think a lot of this has to do with this whole subscriber system because it used to be I think it would understand who that audience was it would it would look at your subscribers and say well these are people who want to watch your videos they want to watch you and since YouTube has placed that on such a low peg on in their recommended engine um, I think yeah this what you're talking about is definitely noticeable do you also think it might be a system of the algorithm was used to pushing to subscriber feeds and whatnot, and now that they've switched more towards watch time, which is the case because we have access to the beta thumbnail tester that YouTube has where you can test three thumbnails, um, and, but they don't do it based upon click-through rate. They do it based upon watch time. Yeah. And that's kind of the rub. So I was at a presentation and had a whole thing. A, the first thing that they said was like, you, you got creators, you need to get out of that mindset, that weekly content or trying to produce something every week is not the right, you know, approach anymore and not what audiences want to see anymore. And da, da, da. It's funny that it only took 15 years for them to get to the point where it's like, <laughs> hey, remember the thing we've been literally telling you to endlessly right. do? And I think that's, I mean, that's... Uh, that's the that's the problem they face they have to like know how to show the right thing to the right people however they realized that the click-through rate was such a a false metric because it, it captured someone's attention but capturing someone's yeah. attention True. and then making it relevant is the that's other TikTok. part and that's how they that's mm -hmm. why obviously they're prioritizing watch time and it's interesting because I've been using it for a few videos now and the, the thumbnails that I normally thought would work aren't the ones that work and the ones that feature perhaps Melissa or a face or a da da da, those are the ones that work and you realize that it's the people who watch these videos watch substantially more of them so that's a much more valuable demographic for, <laughs> for YouTube and now I'm starting to understand that from our point of putting out that Halloween video and just being like, yeah, it's not going to be X, but it's going to be what, what, what it'll probably get 30,000 views, 25,000 views. Yeah. And that becomes the like, so we, we have to get used to the, like, this is what it is. And it just kind of like yeah. fills this Just hole. prepare yourself for it. It just kind of stinks when you get Sucks. put at, when you're out of the algorithm. But I do want to share like, are the people who listen to your podcast like do they care about youtube -y things <laughs> well, i we think at this point they know. better <laughs> i hope so <laughs> okay so listen that's what, Good, we, okay. that's what we talk um, a lot about because the, the the trick that i've kind of found and and they deny this because i brought this up to like the youtube people when we when i went there and they were like no that doesn't seem to work and i'm like well it shows that it does. So when I find like right now I'm in purgatory, if I release a really long video, uh, you know, a 40 minute video, anything over 20 minutes, but if it's 40 minutes, that thing is getting fed to everybody. Why? Because the watch time is longer. Yeah. And so I can recycle old content, kind of cut it together, do new talking points to it, but create a very long video 
and my watch time is longer. And so my follow that video is getting fed to more. And now I'm back. I'm back in. Also, hmm. I found that if I produce a video that's under 10 minutes, what the heck is the point? It could be yeah. amazeballs. It's dead in the water because the watch time isn't long enough. Um, and the other thing that I've found is if I have a week where I've had a real stinker like this week, real stinker, I'll do a live on the Friday and I'll do question mm. and answers for an hour. And that magically, now maybe everybody's channel is different, but again, it's almost like because I've got a long video, it's like I've had one video that week that had really long watch time, even though it's too videos does this make sense or i'll release a bonus yeah. video yeah totally I think or perhaps you've just had your engaged audience do an engaged thing with you for your previous video so now when you release your next piece of content literally it's going to just get so much more prioritized so it's not to your point like it's not just because it is actually just because it's because and we were talking about this offline texting and whatnot uh i'm i, I want to do a weekly live where you can just you know uh, join us every whatever from 12 to 2 and you can just ask questions and live and it's just it's different than than what the video cadence is and now you have this engaged group of people who the next time they come they're going to be recommended your older videos or whatever mm -hmm. your newer video is so it does kind of seem to be that you need to engage with people and it comes down to literally making the video content as low production costs as, yeah, as possible as much as possible is like you just it's nothing it's no b-roll it's zero work I just sit and chat but I do find that people stay even if I have an hour live my people are staying for the entire hour which is increasing the watch time a lot and the the CPM so or the RPM listen I'm not really big into analytics but it's, it's usually quite high for lives. So I'm engaging with my audience. I'm one-on-one -on -one answering their questions. I'm increasing my watch time and I'm earning substantial income from that video. So it's such a win-win, but I did find when I went live too often, like once a week, people were like, well, I just was not that live. So once a month seems to be my kind of hmm. sweet spot. And then I'll do it when I've got a stinker video, like if you did the Halloween video, you know, you could follow it with a live. <laughs> follow it up with and then the live. algorithm is like tricked. Right. Did, yeah. Cause it's like, it doesn't, it's like their watch time this week is really good. Oh, um, you're right. That's a good, good idea. So I don't know. I, it just seems to be working in my, when I see that I'm starting to not get into recommended, if I do a live the next week, I'm back into the recommended. See, I got to get into this live business. Every time I talk to somebody, they're always like, have such good positive experiences with doing lives and how, how beneficial it is. And I think the last live I did was like two years ago or something. It's been forever. And I keep telling myself, I got to do this. I got to do this. But it's, I don't know why I feel a, a, a larger sense of anxiety, though, doing live video. If it stresses you out, don't do it. Don't, don't well, do it. Well, I wouldn't say it stresses me, but it does raise my anxiety level a little bit. And I'm always afraid that well, I'm going to really say something dumb. I say so you... many dumb things. I say so <laughs> many dumb things. I'm like, and demonetized, you know, because... See, Cass has the same thing that kind of Melissa has, where people can just endlessly be like, hey, I have a question about this thing. Yeah, I, It could constantly come to you. So, Steve, obviously you make it be like, hey, 
ask your yeah. ask your woodworking questions, uh, newbie questions, especially mm-hmm. like, hey, we whatever. That might be actually a really interesting thing for you. Or my follow-up is going to be, I would tune in for an hour just to watch you do a live project. I yeah, like, like a traditional project or like that. a two or three hour. And you just like, mm-hmm. today we're making a thing. And it's just like you yes. in real time. And you also kind of take a break to like whatever, mm-hmm. or you can explain like, who so I just good. came up with the idea out of like That's right now. Idea. I, think, I would other, watch that dude. I did I that one time. I would watch the crap out of that. And also, I did it like early, early live, like in 2010 or something. They had live and I did one of those project videos like that. I like that. And I really sometimes, I get nervous too. Like what are the questions going to be? So I post the week before on Instagram and I post yeah. on the hmm. community tab and I say, ask your questions here. I'll make sure to get to them. I pick the ones I really like. I use a program called StreamYard. And so sometimes oh, yeah. I'll have graphics. Like I can, I can screenshot that question, you do it all throw yourself? it up there. Yeah, I do it all myself. I, I click, I throw it up there and then I'll click like an image to show the answer. So that's nice because I'm still doing question and answers with my community, but I don't have to come up with it on the spot. And I don't have to have that lull where no one's asking a good question. Um, well, that's the awkward thing of, is when you're trying yeah, to read awkward. through the chat and there's just long pauses. Yeah, that's awkward. Do you do you answer questions in the chat or, or I not? do? Yeah. So um, I is love it hard for you to too. read read through the chat while you're talking? And is how do you avoid those pauses? Starting to need glasses. So so what I ask <laughs> people to do is put a question mark at the beginning if they have a question. So it kind of mm. sticks out. And then I use StreamYard so I can scroll back up over top while I'm just talking and then I click on it and then the question comes up big because I have problems reading friends I'm getting old I feel like I need bifocals now um so using that program StreamYard makes it a little bit easier for me oh my god I'm getting an earthquake alert on my phone oh I've never seen this before emergency alert severe earthquake detected drop cover hold on protect yourself USGS shake alert. Oh. Oh, am I supposed to freak out about this thing? Look at that. Oh, it's, it's, the, fo- it's the flashing. That's it's a, the, yeah. There is 100% an earthquake. earthquake if you feel a rumble, dive under your desk. It's true. This is cool that we're recording this now, though, too. Cool. Wow. I don't feel anything. But so, so, they, I guess there's some way that they get like an early detection a few seconds before something happens. But by the time you've received it, it is past tense well i, I think there's, there's I no heard way they can do it like 10 minutes yeah, they, before really i didn't know if it was that far but i knew there, there's a period of time where they can kind of start to sense a little bit the i don't know seismic feel activity mm. i'm feeling something <laughs> no, have, have you have you ever felt no. an earthquake Cass? i felt a little rumble i thought it was a big truck going by uh, yeah. turns out it was an earthquake it yeah. was nothing like, like th- nothing 10, fell it 15 was like years a, ago or something yeah, like that yeah that one that we 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 up here canadian quake yeah so. it was weird we didn't know what to do because you're you're seasoned i'm sure you probably go through what 12 14 a year if we get fa- they're fairly common i mean i've got that many most of them are smaller ones my first instinct for some reason if i'm sitting down is i always look up usually i'll see like lamps shaking or something my first instinct is to get out of the house i don't know why mm-hmm. i don't want to drop and cover i just want to yeah. get out of the well, building because you don't want it to have reason. to fall on you that makes sense right. you're smart <laughs> but then you know i've got my logical brain tells me oh this house has been here for 70 years it's mm-hmm. not going to come down and i think we're okay 
Uh, yeah, I only remember the one time. It was the same time, and I remember my only uh, my my reaction was to just like hunker, like I hunkered down. <laughs> you don't like know if what I to do. if I weird... lower my neck somehow when the roof collapsed, I would somehow survive it. I don't. Know. I put my hands up, thinking I. Could... It was very. Mine was very little, uh, my reaction was, well, that was a big truck, and back to my yeah, head. right. Like <laughs> that was an earthquake. <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm not feeling anything, so I guess we're okay. I think I think we can. I'm sorry to hijack the podcast with it's a very note. cool. <laughs> no, I didn't know I, they sent alerts for earthquakes. That's that really cool. Weird. Well, that's the first time I've seen that. All right. Uh, I have a perfect segue, and it involves Halloween. And I got to ask Cass, how much do you love Halloween? Because I must say, you have some of the best costumes ever. I, you and your family are amazing. I love Halloween so much. My family does not want to do it ever. I force them. Um, really? I force them to do we family costumes. So it's like all we all are one theme every year, and they Aww. they complain the entire time. And then for Halloween, there's something else. My kids, you know, have their own costume. My husband's like, "Why are we spending so much money on one day? Why can't we not recycle the old costumes?" I'm like, "We cannot. Every year has to be something." <laughs> nope. You cannot use the same Halloween costume ever. I'm pretty sure it's a law. It's a law. And then we go to the party and we immediately take one photo with our friends and take the (laughs) costumes off. That's so true. That's so true. I spent $500 this year. I'm ashamed Uh, to say that, but I did. And uh, we wore those costumes for about 20 minutes. But I love it. I bought a bunch of body parts from the Spirit Halloween store I thought I was going to use for this video. And I, I shot it and then I ended up thinking it didn't work out. And so <laughs> all these extra, I've got like a, an arm and a leg and a hand. And I used a few fingers. That was it. <laughs> Can you return body parts? Well, now I got blood all over them. <laughs> but you know what? I feel but, like you can use these in any video. You're just like showing yourself cutting wood. Throw it an arm. This, this is Safety videos. <laughs> Or just random video, you know what I mean? And yeah. just toss it in as a Maybe hilarious I could use that arm bit. to. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe I should I should start doing that. You need to have just what, a severed arm the... in the background. <laughs> and by the way, what's the cost of an arm and a leg? Because I <laughs> yeah. often hear things cost an arm and a leg, but you literally <laughs> That's just pay true. for it. I think it was about thirty dollars, so it wasn't bucks. cheap. You know, Everything's gone up. It just helped me. <laughs> it's Lord. An arm and Arms leg, and right? legs have gone up in prices. I uh, was at I was at Walmart the other day and toilet paper is unacceptably expensive. Really? Unacceptably expensive. Is there another lockdown happening is un- or something? I don't sorry. How are things down there in California? Everything's just totally honky door, like pricing is fine. I, I don't we get we get toilet paper in like the five thousand pack rolls from Costco, you know, where you uh, have all and so I'm and it's been a while, but I don't know I don't know how much they are to be honest. But I, I do know that I can't get the cheap this is probably TMI. I don't like the cheep toilet paper. I got to get the really, the two ply soft, good toilet paper. It's like, it's okay. That's something I'm going to spend the extra money on. I, I, I think it is kind of a Canadian thing, Chad, that our, we've seen a drastic increase in just consumable goods, right? Lately, uh, we don't usually buy paper towels, but we went to the store to get paper towels for bacon, right? Cause you you want to pat the bacon, $18. Yeah. For six rolls was wow. the cheapest. $18 for six rolls of paper towels. Now, that was like sticker shock for me because I don't usually buy it, but it was, that's, 
It's nuts. It's crazy up in here, up in Canada. I think it was 24, which is a lot of rolls, a lot of rolls, but it was like 36.99 or something. Like it, the the price was ridiculous and like looking for like, oh, here's the one that's on sale. That that just doesn't happen anymore unless it's that one ply stuff that Steve does. Yeah. Like have you ever noticed that actually they always compare on the outside they're like this is uh, three jumbo rolls, which is equivalent to like, does anybody actually even sell regular rolls anymore? Or is everything just assumed to be a double roll? Because <laughs> it's a person out there. <laughs> My husband once bought this like massive Charmin rolls and it didn't fit on the toilet. Like it was too big. <laughs> the, you and can't like, spin it. This is a design flaw, bro. You sell toilet paper for a living. You didn't think to see if it would fit on a standard toilet paper roll. Standard. Well, I'll give you a plot twist here. I've got bidets on both, both bidet toilet seats on you both do. of our bathrooms, so oh. we don't use a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> That's still you do. Ate. You still you have, do, but not as you, much. So you have access to all this toilet paper. You don't even. You just. <laughs> That's why it's been so long since I bought like, it. Blow your nose with it. Oh goodness! I think Once us you have Canadians a bidet, need baby, to start you'll never go back. You'll never bidets go back. Are, Bidets are. Have oh you been God. in a house or stayed somewhere where there's a bidet? Never had the water squirting so in get, the butthole. Get, I'm excited for Get one. Of, for get this. one. You will. It will. I, it will change your life. You get. You will. get. We got it at Costco. It's a seat. It's a. You know, and you install it, and it, it. It. You can change like the angle, the temperature, the jets. It has a little blower, Stop and it has like a deodorizer, it. and and it, it's like a. It's like going to a, a spa or something for your, every time. For your backside. <laughs> this is the weirdest it has a remote control I've too. ever I don't know. been on. <laughs> I don't, the, first, the thing that got me, I thought was the funniest thing, is it has a remote control. Why do you need a remote control when you're just sitting there? Are you going to get up in the other room and start using it or something? I don't know, but you sit there that and you can play odd. with your remote control. If both hands are busy, how do you even use the remote? So what? Yeah, that's odd. Uh, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let's not. But that's really fascinating. I didn't realize. I thought you had to have a whole new toilet. I didn't realize they had like adapting no. systems yeah, they that have, you could use for your. They're beautiful. They're they're wonderful. And it's like I think it was Oprah or somebody who said, you know, why do you have a, a bidet? And she says, well, imagine if you pooped on your hand, would you be happy just wiping it off? It's true. I saw a TikTok about that. Would you just yeah. wipe it with dry toilet paper and go on with your day? <laughs> Never. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good. That's oh, good. Well, Chad, Chad, help Poor us Chad. out here. Poor We're Chad. learning some stuff today. <laughs> get us back huh? on track. Uh, I want to uh, <laughs> get us back on track <laughs> quickly. No, I have. Oh, um, I know what I was going to mention to you, Cass. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm going to be doing in first part of November? I'm going to have a garage sale. Are I'm you? Declutter my store. I have a storage unit with mostly tools and stuff that I don't use. You have a storage unit, Steve. Yeah, I know. And this is, oh. I, I don't even know if this is CAS approved to have a storage unit because that's like an example of you got so much shit, you got to get rid of it and put it. And so oh. what it does is it, it defers my mm. decision to get rid of things to a later date. And now is that later date. And so I've got, and some of this stuff is like my dad gave me his old antique lathe and I've got a, a mm. scroll saw from him, but again like we've talked about many times i i have at this point where i can i have to stop putting emotional um importance on these things even though it was his and he did wonderful things on it and i've used those tools i don't use them anymore and if i wanted to use a lathe or or a scroll saw i would probably just buy a new one which would actually be better anyways 
So I'm going to have a garage sale. There's like this community garage sale thing that kind of it, it was the impetus to this because it, it's like, so all the houses if you can sign up for it. So one of these realtors, you know, puts these things together. Yeah. So it's like a whole neighborhood garage sale thing. So I think that's my best bet, but I got to go up to the storage unit and get all this crap out of there and bring it here. And, and also I have found selling things is usually a little bit easier than giving things away. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a good way to dip your toe in the water because you feel like you're getting something back so it's not crazy wasteful. And I love garage sales because I would recommend gathering everything two days before because what you're going to see is once you start, you're like, oh, I also have those old blankets I never use and those picture frames in the attic. And I also have. And so you're, you'll find more things to go. So give yourself at least one day because it it's ex- it gets your like mojo going when you start oh, yeah. gathering things for a yard sale. Oh, that's good. Is the uh, is the objective to completely clear out the storage unit so you will not have to have this storage unit anymore? Well, that would be ideal, but there's enough stuff in there that we have to keep. I I, I do have some furniture in there from when Wyatt had his own uh, apartment in Santa Cruz, and then I, I hopefully hopefully someday. Mm-hmm. He'll be moving out again, and he can mm-hmm. have that furniture mm-hmm. in his apartment. So we're kind of hanging on to that and, and a, a few other things. Um, but I would like to decrease it by about half because the thing is getting full. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy. I go up there like once a month or every other month or something because I need to drop something off or pick something up. And I think, God, there's just so much crap in here. And now you're doing the lathe a disservice because the lathe is just sitting in a storage exactly. unit. So as much as you want the best for it, mm-hmm. you don't have the chance to give it to it. It needs to have someone else give it to it. Yeah. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Storage, storage lockers are so dangerous because it does kind of placate us, right? Like we have this object and we're like, I don't want it in my house anymore. You know, and we can't just chuck it in the garage because our garage maybe is full of those other things right. that we don't want in the house anymore. So then we just take it to the storage locker when when it, we've already made the decision we don't want it anymore. That's why we're but it's hard. It's hard. It, it yeah. takes it's like working out, man. Decluttering is is growing that muscle. So plus, like just like the lathe for for an example, if I if that was in my garage, which it was, and then I want to get rid of it, um, then I got to go through that whole thing of, well, do I stop everything so that I can place an ad uh, on Craigslist or whatever, have to go through that whole thing, or uh, no, I'll just put it up in the storage unit. For now, it's yeah. done. Out of sight, out of mind. It's like procrastinating, it's it's, letting go. It's such a brilliant business idea. It's why Walmart started opening up uh, some of their parking lots and building their own storage, like they have smart smart stores or something. And it literally is just storage because you buy the land and what are you going to do? Just people literally just rent space to put their junk. It's a brilliant, 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 brilliant gig. But uh, to your point, Steve, that's not there. You're not bumping into it. You're not constantly putting your coffee on it and being like, ah, oh, yeah. I got to do something about this lathe. When this lathe is gone, I can whatever. It's this random payment that comes off of a credit card and you don't see it. You don't whatever so well i am proud of you i am that is well i hope the garage sale works because i i I feel like i've i've been getting rid of most of the stuff in my life i don't need but man that that storage unit so here's here's the promise i want you to make to me at the end of the garage sale anything that's left Mm -hmm. you drop directly off at goodwill okay 
That's a good good thought because I don't want to take it back up to that you're place. You're not taking it back. I don't care what it is. You're like, it's in the car or it's in the truck and I'm, I'm not going back home with it. I'm going to just drop it off at Goodwill. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It just yeah. matters that it gets out. Yeah. It sucks when people do, like do the donation 99% of the way and then it just it sits yeah. in that bin or it sits in that box. And then you put more things in the box and it keeps growing, but you can't like seal the deal of just... And I was... I was thinking when you were saying earlier, Steve, like, what am I going to do? Go on Craigslist and make a really basic ad and take a picture and maybe someone will come and give me 50. Like we make it sound like that part is so difficult. So <laughs> true. Cass, is there any way that I can go from agreeing that I need to move on from my whatever, but like actually getting it out the door and, and, and donating it? Yeah. So for me, I have a limit, which means if I can't get at least $50 for something, like not that I spent $50 on it, that I can't confidently sell something for $50, it's not worth my time. Because the thing is, it's not just the taking the picture and the posting it, it's scheduling people to come and then they don't show mm -hmm. up and then you're finding the next ah, person. They're all Such flaky. Mm -hmm. Such a pain in the butt. So can you get $50 for this? If the answer is no, it's got to go. And I immediately take it to my car. My car is sometimes so filled with, and I just drive that crap around for months. And then I'm like, oh, I should probably drop it off at the donation center. <laughs> so my car is like a storage locker sometimes, like a storage. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. But um, at least I'm, I've taken action, right? I've taken action. Mm action and giving myself that $50 rule when I was really broke in the old day, it was $20. But, um, mm -hmm. I, I have to value my own time too. And it is a pain to sell things. So if you are selling things, I do have a quick tip though. Selling in lots is very mm. effective. So if you have a lot of tools, you sell the whole group of tools together as one lot. If somebody is going to mm. be buying something, they're more likely to just take the whole kit and caboodle. They save money doing it that way. And you can offer a little bit less because you're getting rid of so much. So kids' clothing sell as a lot. Any, anything that you have is like a lot of the same kind of category. If you sell it as one big group, it saves you time. And people are actually more likely to buy it because they're saving a bit of money too. Oh, that's a great tip. I'd be able to do that. Because I know tools traditionally are really good sellers at, at garage sales. In fact, people like to show up early, these guys, and try to find the deals on tools. And and for me, it's not... I, I, I like your idea of a, a monetary kind of minimum that you expect of it. Because I, I don't want... I'm not doing a garage sale to make money. I mean... What if you, if you spend five hours out there on the, sitting there plus I don't know how many hours just getting it all together even if I made you know 500 bucks it's really not that big of a deal I would rather just get rid of this stuff but mm -hmm. there is something kind of exciting about getting cash for something <laughs> I mean yeah it motivates you it gets you like well I'm it gonna does. get something for this for sure uh, well, yeah then... we can go out to dinner or whatever you know and then anything that's left over tool wise, you could actually drop that off at Habitat for Humanity. They're always oh, right, looking right. for tool donations because they've got volunteers building houses and and they actually teach people to use the tools in buildings. So that you can feel good then. Like you're like, my dad's lathe is going to this incredible charity to help build a house for a homeless person or whatever story you, you can tell yourself to really make it feel good if you don't sell it right so i always when i donate to goodwill here's what i tell myself there are single moms who can't afford to shop at walmart 
who are going to be so grateful to walk in and find these beautiful things at Goodwill. And I imagine like the look on their face when they find these baby clothes for $3. And that makes me excited to drop it off, right? I kind of tell myself this story about the person I'm giving it to without having to find the person. Um, It makes it easier. We grouped toys together when uh, Riley started growing out of them and we realized huge success when it was just like we put all the Paw Patrol stuff together and be like, mass lot, 50 bucks, come and get it. And it's a great deal, but versus trying to like piece me, uh, do you want the rider or the rubble? No, I just, I, <laughs> right, my kid right. is saying Paw Patrol, so I just want to put a big box of toys in front of my kids. So uh, that's the way those toys actually came in. We bought them in the same way, so we we moved on uh, in, uh, in were, a similar fashion. Were you emotional about any of those toys from when yeah. she was really little? Yeah. Like, because when you're moving on from them, you're mm-hmm. like, you, you acknowledge a lot you of things too. You remember <laughs> being on the ground playing with those yes. toys and imagining the things with your little toddlers. Uh, and, and quite like anything, um, yeah, it has that like that emotional attachment to it. But obviously when it's your kid, it's like, no, this is... Elevated. I, I, right. This is, or quite, I guess, to your point with your father, like it mm-hmm. is, it's, that's not just a regular lathe or whatever that is something yeah. special so it's tough but uh once it started and it was gone and we actually had the extra space that we used to hold in the storage room as yeah when we have another or we'll pass it along to the or like there'll be a logical time versus no we should just gather all this stuff and sell it and if we have another child or if like whatever mm-hmm. if like we ever need toys we'll just go and buy toys yeah, just and perhaps rid. in the same way like because now i buy via facebook marketplace because if i were to consume toys i wouldn't go to toys r us and buy all the packages individually i'd go find it's funny who how would sell it this way as parents we can be more emotional about this than our kids are i remember you know going through several periods of time where we we're trying to get rid of my son's toys and i'm like okay you haven't played with this in a while do we need this and he's like i gotta get rid of it get rid of it and then i would find something and like oh i kind of remember this and he didn't care i'll put that up here because he's going to want to see that later yeah well exactly and this is the problem this is why parents give crap to their kids thinking that and it's just a burden when you have to take on the stuff that your parents give you as an adult i am going to say steve listen decluttering for you is going to be harder than for other people because of your organizing style here's what i found i've decluttered literally thousands of people and what I call a B, so a visual organizer that's really detailed and meticulous, for some reason, they have a very hard time letting go. And you're a B. I know you're a B. I, you don't even have to take yeah. the quiz. I know you are. And so you're a visual. When you're a visual organizer, you see things and it, it creates an emotion in you, just looking at things. But you also have that logical, detailed brain. So then not only do you have an emotional attachment to just looking at your things, but now you have that, well, what if one day I need this? Or what if my kids want this? Or what if my grandkids want this one day? Or what if I, you know, am I wasting money? And then your brain's like, so you have, it's kind of like emotional and intellectual for you, which makes decluttering very hard for bees. So yeah, you may look at other people and say, how is it so easy for you to just, you know, let go? It is hard for everyone, but it's harder for you. Yeah. I think I'm getting much better at it in the past 
five or six years, I'm kind of letting go of a lot of stuff. And I'm in definitely in this uh, intentionalist. I don't want to say minimalist anymore, but I want to say I'm an intentionalist. I really want to be intentional, especially what comes into the house. And it's like a muscle, like you work it and you work it and you work it. And then, yeah, when you're when you're working out and you have really big muscles and you're working them out, you get so much more enjoyment from the act of. And now some like I've taken the past six months to get through probably the most emotional, important decluttering that I've had to just kind of do for one reason or another. Um, and now every single day there's like uh, an excitement to like, I'm going to find something else in this house <laughs> to get rid of because I'm, I'm housing too much shit up in this house right now. And you just, you literally just see everything differently. I've been in your house, Chad. I, I, I have to say this. I want to say this. Uh, I went and visited you and Melissa with, with my husband and you have the most beautifully curated home. You are intentional. Oh from the art on the walls to everything, there is not excess. And I was so impressed by the beauty of your home, but also like the stories that all the things say, especially, I don't know if I can say this, but as like an adhd or we're not usually like stopping thinkers. We're just like, we're what? at the store, look at this. This looks cool, let's buy this, let's buy this. We're <laughs> very impulsive, you know, very impulsive. But your home is not impulsive at all. Your home is very curated and i was so impressed by that thank you the, you're the poster boy chad the part you didn't see was the part that was a huge mess, Did not see a mess. Um, <laughs> um i actually think you saw you saw pretty i mean you saw the deepest darkest corners of our kitchen which really represents neither of us having a huge connection to cooking so not a like it just ends up being one of those spaces where it's like we both need it and we do our best to like whatever. But, you know, it was an absolute mess. So even though there's parts of our house which have that type of order, it's 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 when you see that disorder in the, the other spots where it really starts to like gnaw at you and whatnot. So it, either way, getting through all of that um, and getting through the most difficult stuff has made everything else like super easy do you do you reckon this is probably the most difficult one for you steve the lathe or (laughs) it's funny i use that as an example but uh, probably those two tools he had the lathe and a scroll saw and those things are um you know 70 years old probably and and it's just i don't know why that number means anything and just i guess just because he had it i guess when he was like a teen he bought those things and you know he's 88 now and yeah, uh, I I don't know. It's and it, but I'm much better about that. I I I'm committed to getting rid of it. I I know it's not. It doesn't make any sense to keep any of this stuff. But it's something about I think just growing up that my family always put so much importance on the, the on things on how uh, oh your grandmother had this you got to keep this or you you know there's always this somebody had this so therefore it has to be important to you. Yeah, it's that guilty clutter that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation, right? Like my mom kept this for 60 years. It must be important. So then you keep it and then your kids are like, grandma kept it. My mom, I got to keep it. And then our kids have storage lockers for crap that we didn't even care about. It's so burdensome. I think I mentioned to you before, I've got my grandmother's china 
I don't ever remember her using it, but for some reason she wanted me to have this shit. Now it's up in my <laughs> attic. We've never mm. used it. Mm. And it's like, why am I keeping this stuff? Yeah. I remember having conversations with my parents about like, well, when we die, we can pass this off to you. And <laughs> yes. Your brother can have this one. It's like, do we actually want... <laughs> do we have uh, a say in this? <laughs> and I mean, how old's Wyatt? He's uh, 26. He's 26. And like, he's already of a generation who do not see those things the kind of the same way, maybe that our yeah. generation. Like we grew up in the finish your whole plate they're starting yeah. kids and like that like just this mindset of like if it's here you need to just whatever you gotta keep it <laughs> yeah know. exactly you had it yeah and the wartime mentality i'm not in any way dismissing the reason why a lot mm -hmm. of people have you know kind of that mindset but like i think these future generations because uh with riley literally within weeks of her losing interest in something it was very easy just to be like do you do you still want this and she's like no like no attachment to it whatsoever happy to move on and she also understands that this can go and be enjoyed by someone else and that was never a thought uh when we were you know when we were growing up we're like breaking the cycle we are we're we're helping our kids out. do you think as people like myself and chad and we've talked about this a lot of times about really trying to embrace this more minimalist intentionalist lifestyle there's a part of me that wonders if this is really coming from sort of a place of privilege because we can afford mm -hmm. to buy new stuff if we need it. So it's kind of like, oh, we're so high and mighty being able to get rid of stuff. But when you look at like a lot of hoarder situations, mm -hmm. there, there are people who are just like, they're afraid that they're not gonna have the things the next day. And so everything they keep mm -hmm. is somehow important. Yeah, I hear that message a lot. I hear people saying, well, it must be nice. Um, yeah. But but here's what I found. I, I was homeless for years and didn't have a nickel to my name and was very, very broke. And so I had that scarcity mindset of everything I got, I better hold on to. The problem with scarcity mindset is the more you hold on to, the more you look at your stuff and you associate it with security. So then the more you need to get stuff to feel secure. So now you're trading the money you do have for things, which is keeping you in this cycle of like, poverty because you're spending money on things because the th you think the things feel secure and safe because mm. if i need it if i need i got twenty dollars i better buy it now because that twenty dollars might be gone but now your twenty dollars is gone and the thing you've purchased is never now worth the twenty dollars so what i found um is the more you let go, even if you're not financially stable, you trust yourself, I know I'm never gonna need this extra thing, the less you spend. And that's the truth, because you're kind of slowly moving out of the scarcity mindset. When you are in it, hoarders, in hoarding situations, almost always struggle financially. Right. Right. Yeah. And then when they do get money, they're buying things and they're stuck on this cycle. It's very hard to see, but once you start letting go, you're like, oh, my life is a little bit easier. Oh, I didn't actually need that thing. We start with things like trash. We start with really easy things we know we're never gonna miss. We're slowly building that muscle. And this incredible thing happens is we start having more money. And that's something you cannot 
explain to people. They really just have to experience it. And I've seen this again and again and again. So we can say, oh yeah, decluttering comes from a place of privilege, but I can promise you your clutter is costing you money. And that's the truth. It's costing you money because your mindset is that things equal safety. And that's a dangerous mindset to have. Do you have any thoughts on this, the kind of the popularity of the hoarding cleaner upper videos and TV shows and and all of these things? Yeah. So I'm actually really good friends with Matt Paxton, who was on Hoarders for years and years and years. And what I the truth is, if you go into a hoarder's home and remove things without their them making the decision on every single thing, it's an a, hoarding is anxiety. Hoarding is caused by fear of the unknown, what to make a mistake, fear of financial insecurity. If you remove that security from them, now you've just made them more anxious. They're going to hoard even worse than before. It's a terrible thing to do. So what Matt does, and a lot of the really good professionals, is every single thing has to be their decision and it's positive reinforcement positive reinforcement and you can see long-term success when you couple it with you know therapy and and other things but you can never say you have a family member who hoards do not go in while they're on vacation and clear things out you are a hundred percent going to make that worse but what why do you what explains the popularity of people wanting to watch this what why are people so drawn i'm drawn to the watching these yeah. videos and and is it is it just kind of an exploitative thing that we just love seeing how those people at least we're not that bad kind of a thing or <laughs> is it me, like I'm... on hoarders there's a lot of those episodes where there's really no good resolution Mm -hmm. they're able to clean up a little bit but and it's kind of disappointing when when you do see those episodes Mm. where the the place is actually cleaned up it it does seem satisfying but i also wonder how much of that is just tv i think it i think it comes from twofold i think a lot of us want to root for the underdog i think we want to see someone succeed there's real like i get personal fulfillment seeing watching a story of someone else transform their life and i think that's why we like those transformational videos and the ones that they don't succeed i think we still feel some level of motivation too like oh i don't want to get like that even if we're not hoarders we can kind of like am i close am i like six cats away from (laughs) this situation i better at least i'm not that guy (laughs) but do you like i find if i watch hoarders i I want to declutter after. So I think Oh, it does. Yeah, so, it makes me want yeah, to Yeah, two clean types everything. of people people are using it for motivation, not for mm-hmm. like let's this isn't like a 600 pound life thing where it's like let's <laughs> mock the person. That's awful. Yeah. I think people are actually using it hopefully. I'm hopeful. Listen, I'm trying to see the good in humanity here. Seeing it for motivation but also because we really love stories of people succeeding overcoming huge obstacles and having success because it feels so good to feel happy for them i think of the show intervention which i used to love and i used to hate at the exact same time because i was like ah this is horrible i like i shouldn't want to watch this but there was this draw to want to watch it because it's like i don't think my life will get this bad But to your point, Cass, it's nice to see that this person can overcome like, wow, they were a heroin addict and they found whatever. Wow, this person was living amongst, you know, 100 cats and now they figured out how to like whatever. 
and maybe in some small way we like we try to like use their extreme examples so that's why you want to watch 600 pound life is like oh great if someone 600 pounds can lose weight mm -hmm. me at you know 250 maybe can lose that 25 pounds and also want. like i'm maybe not going to eat the cheeseburger today right like i think part of us we know like we have to work on areas of our lives so we're drawn to watching people who are really struggling as like a as like a life lesson yeah like, don't and I've been thinking so much about this because I've been going through this process recently and I wrote it down where it's just like you're surround like you you are surrounded by what you're looking at. You've surrounded yourself with the same disappointments, half finished projects, and every time you see them, you see the failures. You see the you know, you see the pile of clothes on the so it does just get bigger and all of the rest. So uh, it's it's tough to to break out of a mindset of thinking that you need these things but when i started going through especially with the new kind of realization of adhd and a lot of the things that i thought were kind of normal before put in normal places before organized in a way that clearly worked for me before and now when i go through and see all of those things I can see through the eyes of someone like Melissa who would see the frustration of it and just be like, ah, and me being like, no, it's totally normal. But like, that's just in my head. And now that mm -hmm. I have a, a more of an intentional approach, I like that Steve keeps using the intentional wor word. I go through and as soon as I see something, which was that askew the way it used to be, I instantly need to fix it. I have a rule where if I can do it in five minutes, I literally stop whatever I'm doing and I fix it. Ah. Yes. And I realize when I walk past it, then I see the fixed thing and I quietly acknowledge it. I notice the light has been changed or the garage door battery, like all these little things that never got done. Yeah. I, see, I see you smiling, <laughs> Cass. It's very new to me, but like I now this. I can't not see it. Because <laughs> yes. as soon as you see it, you're like, and that's why the past six months has been like an endless stream of like trying to dig down to the most sent like financial things have always been a thing organizing my financial tax time ah. I, do you know why i just um mel robbins talks a lot about this and that's so fascinating um your is it your enigma there's part of your brains that kind of filter out things so that we're not that's why we can't see our nose, right? So we're not constantly bombarded by things. It's kind of the bouncer of our brain. Like you're important, you can go in. You're not important, you stay out. And when we're intentional with our thoughts, so when we start telling our brain, oh, this is important, we see it everywhere. And she mentions this thing that we can do where we look for hearts. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. So while you're out looking for a walk, going for a walk or driving around, you can do this experiment where you're looking for a heart maybe in a cloud that's shaped like a heart or, or a tree that's shaped like a heart. And suddenly, in a very short amount of time, you start to see hearts everywhere. And hmm. you can sort of replace this looking for hearts as looking for something that can be decluttered, looking for a way to improve my life, looking for a small way to get more organized. And then your brain, your bouncer, starts allowing those in. So that's what's happening to you, Chad, is you're seeing these things everywhere because your brain is now saying this is important to me i feel good when i'm getting my life under control how can i do more of this how can i have more of these positive experiences and that's exactly what happened to me too you also uh, uh 
what, what, uh, what do we say? Uh, like you're an ADHD or you suffer from, like you are a flick. Like what, how do you, when you tell people, of, like, I don't know yet. Can you help me out? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, I have ADHD. And I, I really kind of wear it as a badge of honor now because my entire life, I was told, sit still, calm down. Why can't you control yourself? Why are you so lazy? Uh, why are you dumb? Why don't you try harder? From a young child, we're really, when you think about a school situation, we praise the children who are quiet and still yeah. and do their work. And we shame the children who are tapping their toes or moving or just, or can't, co can't concentrate. So I went my whole life thinking, all these very negative things about myself that I just didn't have the willpower. I just wasn't strong enough. I wasn't smart enough. I was too lazy. When I got the ADHD diagnosis at 40 and started doing research, I can't even explain to you the weight that was lifted off of me that this wasn't a character flaw. This wasn't a moral failing. This wasn't a lack of hard work. This is that my brain just is different. I, I gave myself so much love and grace and forgiveness and started really identifying how all these flaws that I always thought I had were also really amazing and made me kind of a cool person. And, and I'm doing all this like stuff I would never do otherwise. And yes, there are downsides to having ADHD, but there's also a lot of amazing things about having ADHD. And that diagnosis was critical to me. So I, I'm going to just, I was a person who used to say ADHD, those kids just need discipline. Just give them a good smack. Blah, blah, blah. I had no idea what I was talking about. Oh, you're medicating your kids and turning them into zombies. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was such a moron. When I started taking medication, which is a stimulant, it calmed me down because my brain is lacking dopamine. When you understand the science, you, you, you have a whole new outlook on it. And I'm so passionate about it now. I love talking about ADHD because I know there's people out there who feel stupid, lazy, unimpulsive. Uh, you're spending money all the time. You can't save your, your house is a disaster. You're Guess what? There's nothing wrong with you. You yeah. have ADHD. Yeah. You are not failing. With children, don't you think it's important that uh, it seems to me, and again, I'm, I'm kind of outside the box here. I may not know what I'm talking about at, or, or all, at all, but it seems to me there's been a, an effort over the past couple of decades to instantly turn to drugs for these kids when the, the problem is the situation that they're mm. in, that mm -hmm. kids have different learning styles. This is the reason why we took our son out of school and homeschooled him because he could not sit still. And it was like, he needed to move around. He needed kinetic things. He needed to write with his fingers. He needed to, all of these things that a structured classroom setting is not prepared to do. It's sit down and shut up. So sit that's the problem. Up. Totally the, the problem. The problem is the system, not the kid. Totally the problem. But can we change the system? We can take our kids out of school, but if we just, and we can try to tell our kids, listen, it's not your fault, but the truth is they're learning that I'm not as good as the other kids and that they internalize that. And so we have two options. We can fight like hell to change the school system, to allow yeah. kids to have a learning structure based on their natural, like get them up, move around. We can, 
can we, or, or a job, right? Like I couldn't sit in a, at a factory and stamp all day. Yeah. Um, I, I would be terrible at that. So we have two options. We can break the whole system and remake it, or we can help children achieve success in the system that that is available today by stimulating their brain so they don't have to. Now, it's not changing their personality. That's the thing that I did learn. I am the same person. I'm just less impulsive and I, I move, I'm less hyper. And we live in a world where we just always can't be crazy pants all the time. So I agree with you. In an ideal world, we shouldn't be medicating ADHD at all. I think it's bullshit. I'm sorry I've said swearing, but I do. But also, um, do you want to use your kid to fight the system or do you want to have them happy and healthy and set up for success? And I, I don't know. That's don't a tough one either. because you are, you're, you're trying to just get them to conform. As a, as a parent of a five-year-old in senior kindergarten, <laughs> I didn't know there was a senior kindergarten. Yeah, they do, they do JK and SK now. And then when okay. you become an SK, you're, you're an SK leader. Wow. And you help the, the JKs out. Mm -hmm. Actually, and that's, that is my point. She loves school. Her friends love school. Her friends do not have that type of interaction. They don't have, they have a, they have a calming zone. So they all identify where they're at. They have conversations about like, oh, look, someone's in the red zone. Someone's having these feelings. They talk about them. They have things all in the thing. And we have a whole generation of parents raising their kids kind of this way, sharing and all the rest. So I will put out there that I think we're really on a great trajectory. Great. I have so much awesome. faith in the younger generation. I'm fascinated by the amount of people in our generation who aren't even like diagnosed with like like we got to get away from the that the the thought that it's like it's this thing that you have or you don't like it's varying degrees everybody mm -hmm. has the inability to lose control of the focus of their mind for periods of time weeks days or however that may be for someone with ADHD as far as I understand we are desperately always in need of dopamine. So if I go out with Cass for a drink, I'll go out for 12. We're getting wrecked, Chad. We're getting wrecked. Right. <laughs> and then, right. And then we'll just fall asleep and we'll deal with the repercussions because uh, we know like, that we the, know what we need. It's the impulsive. It's like, you want to jump off that bridge with me? Okay, cool. Let's go. Let's go. Do we let's, know if there's debris go. in the water? We're going to find out with our legs. We'll Right. And it's, and it's like every single thing in your life runs through that filter and someone with ADHD, or at least I guess diagnosed or someone with a serious case of like acknowledges that it's everything. But I really am firmly believing that every single person on this planet deals with what we deal with in, in smaller amounts. Mm -hmm. It's Is probably that? a spectrum, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and so my kids, two of the three definitely have ADHD. They're not on medication because they're not struggling in school. So I wouldn't even think to medicate them unless it's starting to affect their self-esteem, unless they're starting mm. to feel lazy and stupid. And like, I just think, yes, I, I agree with you just giving medication. But the great thing about ADHD medication that I didn't realize is it isn't something you need to take all the time. It isn't addictive to your brain. It literally is like, like coffee. It's a stimulant that you can take and it's calming. And so at first I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But then 
I don't take it every day. I take it on the days I got to put on my big girl pants and do important things. And it's less, it makes life a little bit easier sometimes because I don't have to fight the constant urge to be looking for dopamine all over the place. So I used to think really negatively about it until the first day I took a pill. And then I'm like, I had it all wrong. Do you, and how long has your medication kind of, like the issue with me when I went on medication was like, I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't like, am I supposed to stop shaking as much or do I stop over talking or like, like, do I know what is going to be affected? What did you feel or how did you experience when you started going through medication? Honestly, I did not even notice a difference. The people around me noticed a difference. Isn't that weird? And you have to rely upon everybody Mm -hmm. else to tell you how you are. What were they noticing? Um, My mother said, uh, oh, you're so much less rude today. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And my husband was like, oh, you're spending a lot less money. Okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I personally, I said to my doctor, I don't feel anything. And he was like, let's just, I was like, I don't feel any different. I don't feel any different. Um, I started writing chapters of my book. I was able to sit and write, but I don't feel like if I take a pill and don't take a pill, I wouldn't be able to know the difference in the day, except I'm slightly more productive. And the people around me find that I'm less impulsive. I stop talking over them as much. I'm yeah, it's very strange. Chad, do you, do you find the same thing? it's tough to like go on a medication and have to be reliant upon everybody else aside from like you have to acknowledge that it's like I, I don't know am i different and of course when you hear it's like yeah you're not kind of the same way that it's like i get that there's this huge new kind of awareness uh, so i guess that would come with whatever um but then I talk to people like you and it's like, well, what medication do you take? And it's like, oh, it's this. And then, well, I took this. Should I look at that? Or are there others that, and that, and that's also kind of the, the, the part that got overwhelming and confusing. It's like, is Vyvanse the one that I should be taking or should I try something else? And it, none of them are like so dramatic that it's like, yes, I, that's the thing. And do we even need it at all? I don't know. I'm just flailing over here. I'm just. All right. I'll put out there because it's like, this is probably the only space that I would say that. I'm actually at the point where I'm, I, I would, I just want to consider like, what would life look like if for like two weeks, I'm just like nothing. And I want to see if I would see the difference. Yeah. But like, I understand how crazy that ends up hmm. sounding. No, it like, do, it's, not. Would, <laughs> no, it does, it's not. No, it does. Here's the thing. It isn't like a antidepressant or another medication where it takes time to build up in your brain. You can't go cold turkey. It isn't like that. It is literally a stimulant, just like drinking a caffeine. So don't be afraid to go on and off. And I've talked to multiple psychiatrists about this and they're like, yeah, there's, they actually take children off a lot of times because it does curb your appetite. So they'll put children on and off and on and off if they're losing weight, does nothing to your brain. You don't have to worry about that. I say go off. And, and what I, my feedback from my loved ones is I'm less annoying when I take my medication, but I don't know Mm. I'm annoying. Right. (laughs) Right. Gee, Cass, you're not a bitch today. (laughs) I'm less like, it's hard for me to eat dinner at the Daniel table without singing show tunes. If I'm not taking a... I'm I'm annoyed. See, I would want to be at that dinner. I want to be at that dinner hearing you sing show tunes. Thank you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but we live in a a world where we reward people who behave themselves. It's conform. 
Yeah. And the oddballs who are singing and dancing and being mm-hmm. weird and impulsive, it it it's off-putting to people who are neurotypical. But those That's, are the people who change the world. I agree with you. That's true. They don't start, they're the ones that start YouTube channels. <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with you. If you can do it in a positive way, um, I went years being really negative, doing a lot of really stupid and horrible impulsive things that got me into a lot of trouble, totally ruined my life. And I found like, if I can channel that impulsivity, that creativity, that like ah, craziness into a positive outlet, wow, it's incredible. Um, but yeah, so I'm actually the keynote speaker at this Chad convention coming up in December. It's the worldwide ADHD, uh, event filled with doctors and like all the people from all over the world come to hear about ADHD and I'm talking about ADHD. Wow. Where is this? It's in Baltimore, December 1st. And, um, they've asked me to be the keynote speaker. I'm terrified. Like, what am I going to say to this group of doctors? Uh, but but they just want to hear my story because, you know, I talk about having ADHD and I've found success, which is difficult, really, mm. sometimes because we do live in a world where it's like there's rules to follow and ADHDers tend to struggle with following rules. And, and so I'm excited to, I don't know, I'm going to talk about something. Congratulations on all of your success. I mean, really, you are... An example of somebody who can really pull it all together. And we always love having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. 